Would you consider yourself to be a wise person? Most of you, I would say yes, because uh, you've had experience. Some of you have had the age of life experiences, and some of you have had the, the book knowledge and the education. But what good is wisdom if it's not applied? And so as we look at our, our passage this morning, we're going to be in this passage for about three weeks. Uh, and so I've called this living. And there's a difference between living and just simply surviving. You know what I mean? You have those days to where uh, you think about what you have in the future, but you just don't see how you can have it in front of you. Or it might be those days to where you have to ask yourself, is this Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? When do I have that doctor's appointment? <laughs> when is that paper due? Is that bill due today? I need to go back and look at my stuff. And then we get into this routine. But as we look at the passage this morning, believers will demonstrate that they value wisdom by living a life with loving reference to God. Folks, everyone is looking for wisdom. Over the years, I have talked with people seeking the, the right education path. What, what college should I choose or what should my major be? Or then I've talked with people that are trying to make career choices or maybe relationship advice, encouragement. I have the privilege of numerous couples that come to me and they say, hey, we want you to marry us. And, and I get to take them through uh, some concepts of marriage and, and share what little wisdom I have on that, but most importantly, share what the Bible says about that. You know, I'm not a licensed counselor, but I do draw upon the wisdom of not only my experience, but the basis of truth that's found in God's Word. Whether it be a businessman or a woman seeking wisdom on the next business deal, or whether it's a person trying to seek information and find out how it can possibly come to pass, that they could forgive a friend. Wisdom, godly wisdom, is a hedge of protection around us and is to be highly esteemed in our lives. And so we think of, of the Proverbs, of the fact that Proverbs are a short saying and they are, are, are times of where we can get wisdom. But wisdom, again, is... Nothing but words, unless it is applied. Folks, living is not just surviving. There is more to life than waking up to an alarm clock. There's more to getting through the day, only to go back to bed and start over again the next day. Yes, technically we have breath. Our heart beats and we have life. Clinically, we are alive, but to simply exist is not living at all. We all want a life that helps us achieve our dreams. We all want a life that meets our needs and gives us a sense of purpose. What must we do to get past this daily grind? There's a life coach. Her name is Lamisha Seraph Wallace who is a life coach, and she writes an article in the Huffington Post that says this. These are seven signs that you are not living the life your soul intended. Now, this is written from a, a secular viewpoint, but I do think that we can get some benefit from this. 
Seven signs you are not living the life your soul intended. Number one, you're reading this article. So there's my first thing, right? You spend every waking moment searching for the missing link. You feel disconnected from life. You are unhappy. You ask yourself, is this all there is to life? Maybe you're paying, playing it safe. The dreams that made you feel alive at one time in your life have now been squelched and pounded into the ground and disseminated. Maybe you're comfortable with discomfort. Maybe you just said, this is as good as it gets, and I'm just going to live like this. I remember years ago I was talking uh, to an acquaintance of mine, and he was talking about how this dog walked up into his yard. He lived out in the country. dog walked, walked up to the yard, and, and he noticed that the dog just didn't walk right. It didn't show any pain. It, it didn't yelp, but it, it just didn't walk right. So he felt compassion on this dog, so he took the dog to the vet, and the vet x-rayed the dog and found out that the dog evidently had been hit by a car at some time, and his, his hip and his leg was badly broken. And so he told me, he said, I asked the doctor, well, why is he not crying? Why is he not whimpering? Why is he not favoring that leg more? And he said, well, dogs a lot of times, they feel the pain and they just learn to live with it. People do that too. You know that point where you're hurting but you forget why? Or you're hurting and you just say, well, I guess this is just life. That's not living. That's surviving. Also, she says that uh, the seventh point, you are not doing what you love. Well, while this article is written from someone that has a secular perspective, meaning it's, it's not really involving God, it's apart from God, it is important to admit that Christians deserve and observe these signs in their lives. New believers are unsure of what to do with dreams and goals that they had for their lives now that they have a new purpose in life of living for Christ. And maybe you're a believer in here that have been living for Christ a long time, but at some point you constantly struggle to find out what it is that God wants you to do. The question I have for you is this. Am I surviving by living the life I want? Or am I growing by living the life that God wants for me? Am I surviving or am I living? That's a question that only you can answer. And every one of us in here might have a different answer. But Henry Blackaby, he had a tweet I wanted to show it with you. He says, at times, God's solution to your problems is not to change your circumstances, but to change you. I got news for you. Every day you wake up. Every moment you breathe, life is going to be throwing its best at you. Life is going to be throwing its worst at you. And you cannot always change the things that happen to you. But you can change your response to them. And Paul knew that as he was talking to the church of Colossae. And in Colossians 3, many of the Jewish leaders were pursuing godliness, but they were tacking on things that church members would have to do. In other words, you couldn't be saved by grace alone. If you were going to be a Christian, you could pray to see, receive Jesus, but you also had to eat the right things and not eat the other things. 
And if you were going to be a true Christian, you had to be circumcised. That's what they were pushing on the new church that Jesus had established. Well, luckily, we don't have those today because we have understood what Christ has done for us and that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And there's no other things that we have to do. But but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't think that this doesn't apply to us because there are churches, there are people that think, well, yes, we are saved by Jesus Christ. But if you're saved by Jesus Christ, you're going to dress this way and you're going to act this way. Back in the day, you couldn't play cards. Back in the day, you couldn't go see the moving pictures. Back in the day, oh, do not dance. We call that expressive worship now, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to dance. I'd be breakdancing. I'd break everything on the stage if I did that. But there are some people that do that. But we add on, well, you have to do this. You have to do that. And then so if I'm a real Christian, I'm going to read my Bible five days a week. If I'm a real Christian, I'm going to come to church every time the doors are open. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad things. Because being in that environment, making those commitments and living in a way that is pleasing to the Lord is important. But if you're getting your salvation experience from what you do, you are wrong. You are just surviving. You are not living. And so the first point I want us to see in verses 1 through 4 of Colossians 3 is that life is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the starting point. This is where the runner puts his feet in the blocks and waits for the gun, the starter's pistol, to sound. This is where we start, and it says in Colossians, starting with verse 1, chapter 3, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. If you want to live life and not simply survive, we see that life begins with the Messiah. The text says that we are raised with the Messiah. Believers have God in their lives from the death of their old life to the beginning of their new life. It's just like when we have baptism. You've seen people baptized. Some of you have actually been baptized before. The water, I mean, we've got Homeland Park water. Last time I checked, it was not divine water. But water's water. The water is not what makes us holy. What makes it holy is the fact that it represents what Christ has done on the inside of an individual and it lets them experience and lets you see what's happened on the inside of their life. When we take this and the preacher says, I bury you with Christ unto death. That is the old person, the old sinful person that has said, forgive me, Lord, and, and I confess my sins and I no longer want to be that person. And you put them down in the water, that watery grave. They're dead. They're gone. You remember that in your life where you got to a clean start. And then when he says, raised to walk in the newness of life. That's what this passage is saying. The old is gone. You are a new person. That is where life begins. In a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a church attendance. Not a church membership certificate. Not the fact that your family member was a preacher. But the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And then it says, Jesus is honored in heaven, so we should honor him here. It says he's seated at the right hand of God. And then it says, seeking what is above. Folks, a lot of translations say, set your minds on the things above. You understand the word set, right? When you have a broke bone and you go to the the emergency room and they, they set the bone so it'll heal correctly. They make a, a determined decision to put it in the right place. Folks, when, when we set our minds on the things above, that's a choice we make. If we're not thinking about those things, it's not because God didn't want us to. It's because we choose not to. It says, set your minds on the things above. It is an action that you must take, a switch that you must flip in your brain and in your heart to get your eyes off of what is around you and get your eyes on what God has for you. That's what that means. All that is in this world, folks, will pass away. And only that which is in heaven will remain. And we're often frustrated by this life because we lose appreciation and perspective of the life to come. Quite honestly, the reason Christians, many are not living a full, productive Christian life is because they have no hope of heaven. They could care less because their eyes are too concerned about what's around them. Folks, that's not living life. That's surviving. The Messiah, who is your life, is revealed. It says here that your real life is hidden in Christ. Folks, the more you know Christ, the more that you study this word, not for the fact of because the preacher's telling you you need to, but for the, for the fact that when you need wisdom and you need to figure out something, it's as simple as saying, well, you know what, I'm pretty angry with somebody, so let me look in the back and look up anger. Oh, here's some verses that go along with that. All of your Bibles have that. And if you don't have one, we'll get one for you. Maybe you say, man, I, I just don't know how I can make it through this day. Oh, here's some encouragement. Here's some verses that go with it. And all of a sudden, this goes from being a prop that you use on Sunday morning to a book that gives you life and wisdom and a direction and purpose for your life. You're not surviving, but you're living by living according to the living word of God. That is how you live and not survive. The Messiah is your life. His glory. He is the reigning king of the new earth. Just as you read your Bible and you read about how Eden was so perfect and Adam and Eve walked with God, we will walk with him again in the same very way in the new heaven and the new earth at the end of Revelation. The second thing we see in this passage is that dead people think about dead things. Dead people think about dead things. Folks, if you have friends in your life that all they do is think about the car that they drive and the money in their wallet and who's with who and who they can get one up on and all of these other things that are worldly things, I'm not saying you need to disassociate with them, but understand this. Every one of us should have friends that are not believers. I fully believe that because we are to be salt and light in this earth. But when you place your faith and you try to emulate what those people are doing, understand this, dead people think about dead things. And the very reason you may be in their life is to show them somebody that doesn't think about the same things. And it says here in verses 5 through 9, and he he doesn't mince words with this. He says, so put to death. Remember, he's talking to the church. These are not the unsaved people. These are church members. 
put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And then he really starts to meddle. He says, don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. When you used to be dead in sin, before you were raised to life, when you were that dead person, you used to do these things. But now, in verse 8, it's time to get rid of anger, of rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Yeah, folks, cussing is wrong. Dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So we see here, step one in our first verses was to seek what is above. Our second step is to put to death. Folks, we love hearing the positive benefits of preachers that like to preach. All the benefits that we'll get if we become a Christian. Oh, that prosperity gospel. If your faith is strong enough, your bank account will show it. That's not in Scripture, folks. And I I can tell you all the great things. I mean, you can have that peaceful, easy feeling that's in your heart, and you can feel real good about yourself. But, folks, if we still let sin reign in our lives, and if there is no change in our action, and if we are not soft and light to this world, we are dead and useless. We are surviving. We are not living. And part of the gospel message is that we must be forgiven of our sins and take our sins seriously. Folks, when we fall short of that glorious mark that God has set for us, it ought to hurt us. It ought to move us. Not to guilt, but to forgiveness. Here you have a worldly nature and your default is set to sin. Paul knew this. Meaning that when you have choices, if you do not consult God's word, if you do not pray about it, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, your first initial knee-jerk reaction will be to fall into sin. That is our default setting, folks. But here's an unpopular but true statement. God hates sin. He doesn't hate people, but he hates sin. Because it's that very same sin that sent his son to the cross. Each time you sin, a drop of blood was shed to cover that sin. So when you sin, and when I sin, it's a reminder to God of what he did for us. And when we don't take it seriously, and when we laugh it off, and we take it for granted, and we put it in the back door and don't think about it again, what an insult the blood that was shed for that sin. Folks, here's a newsflash. God judges sin. He hates sin. He judges sin. His goal is for us to stop sinning and live holy lives. And here's the, here's the truth, folks. If somebody is unrepentant and they are a sinner, they will go to hell. That is a real place. But Paul addresses Different sins. In verse 5, we see that he talks about sensual sins. Yeah, he he lumps up the biggie here, sexual immorality. Folks, if you entertain God 
given sexual urges in an ungodly way, that is sexual impurity. Let me say that again, and I, I hope you hear me. God created sex. It is a be- and I tell uh, people when they're getting married, and I tell them it is a beautiful act of worship. It is something that God has created for a man and a woman to share with one another. To be closer to one another and to be closer to God. When the marriage bed is pure. But when we let what we see on TV and on magazine racks and internet browsers creep into that relationship, what God gave us to enjoy becomes a vice around our necks. And it's because God didn't create it that way, but Satan distorted them. All anyone has to do is to to look around a checkout aisle or look at a television. In just a few minutes, they'll see how our culture has changed. It's amazing now that they use sex to sell toothpaste. I mean, it's just crazy with the world we live in. And here's a stat I want to show you. They said as far as sexual immorality being everywhere, 70% of children, yes, age 7 to 18, have accidentally encountered pornography, often through a web search while doing homework. And there ain't a young person in here that won't agree with that. Wow, I was looking up the Pythagorean theorem. That's not that. And so, but, but the, and I don't even remember what the Pythagorean theorem is. Tell me afterwards so I can, I'll probably have to Google that. But I know it's something to do with math or, or algebra or something like that. But anyway, I digress. Seven-year-olds, folks, seeing their first pornographic image because they were Googling Barney videos. I know that's a few years ago. But, but whatever it is nowadays. I mean, you have to be careful, don't you? Those of you that have children, you've got every kind of parental control you have on your iPads and your phones and, and all this stuff like that. Because to give a kid an electronic device that goes out on the Internet is to put him basically in the middle or her in the middle of a, a street in the middle of a town like New York City or, or San Francisco or Los Angeles and say, best of luck. Because they can get anywhere. Our kids are desensitized to that. Our world is drowning in the sewage of glorified sexual sin. He talks about impurity. Folks, we have lost all sense of shame in our society because many have not taught the, been taught the concepts of you regard your body as a temple of the God. That the only person that should see you with no clothes on is your husband or your wife or your parents when you're young. That, that everything that God has given you is not to flaunt, but to use for His glory. We've lost that somewhere along the way. I can't tell you even years ago the number of teenagers that had their lives wrecked because they sent an inappropriate picture to one person thinking it was just going to stay with that one person. Some of you and your families have had the same thing happen to you. It's just... This is society we live in, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, always wanting more, placing idols before God. Then he addresses the social sins. He talks about anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Folks, we see this, that church members sin. Because Paul wrote this to the church of Colossae, as I said earlier. 
There was a preacher who preached a fiery sermon on sin one Sunday. And as everyone was leaving, a member challenged him by saying, it would be better of the past if the pastor preached those messages to the lost. After all, said the church member, sin in the life of the Christian is different from the life of sin in the life of the lost. And the preacher thought about it for a second. He said, you know, right, you're right. It's worse. A lost person does not know as does not know better. But when a saved person jumps into sin, they know better, but they do it anyway. Paul's advice to you and I today is found in verse 7 and in verse 9. He says, you used to act like this when you belonged to the world, when you were a non-Christian. Folks, we are to live differently in this world, not just like everybody else. Blessings and cursings cannot come from the same mouth. You can't sing holy, holy, holy on Sunday and then use the words you're not supposed to use on Monday. Now, don't get me wrong. I've, I was talking with somebody the other day. I, as a preacher, I, I love it when, when someone who is, is of the world and, and has not been raised in church, they get saved, and all of a sudden they think they're supposed to be perfect. No, you're not supposed to be perfect. There are people that get saved and have Jesus Christ come to their life, and the next day they may say a cuss word. They may do that sin. They may do something and they feel like, oh, it must not have taken because I'm still doing it. Folks, sanctification is a process. We don't get perfect once we walk down the aisle or make that decision. It is a process. But if you can do these things callously and not feel bad about it, then there is a problem. There's a difference between messing up and working on it than just messing up and not caring about it. He says in verse 9, For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all that is wicked. I can remember the summer days, especially when I'd go on mission trips and we'd be in this hot weather and we would spend all day out in the sun and the most treasured highlight other than speaking to my wife on the phone would be to get into a shower. And I would, these clothes would be so awful that I, I wouldn't do anything but find a trash bag and put them in there to throw them away. But according to this passage, what it's saying is, is that if we are dead to our sins and alive in Christ, if we run back to those sins, it would be no different than me taking that pile of dirty, mangled clothes and putting them on and acting like it's a three-piece suit. Folks, people who are alive in Christ don't wear dead people's clothes. And it's a choice that we must make. When you sin as a believer, you are going back to the grave of where your old self was buried. Again, like baptism, buried with Christ unto death, raised to walk in the newness of life. If you've got areas in your life that you will not give to God, you are digging out your own grave and jumping back in it. Stop it! That's not living! That's surviving! And hey, I understand that. There are people, even in my own life, there are times... To where I used to deal with problems in unholy ways, that temptation is always there to go back to that. Always there. Because that's how you cope. That's how you deal. But it's not always the way that God wants you to do it. You've got to trust Him at His Word. And then the third thing we see is that we need to put off to put on. We need to put off to put on. Verse 10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator 
and to become like him. Folks, it says in here, you have been raised to new life. So let me put it as bluntly as I can. You've been raised to new life. Live like it. There's more than just existing in life. And look, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir because I, I am a, a poster boy of wanting to, to kind of handle things in my own way and to worry and to think about things. But, but I'm learning more and more every day that the more I give to God, the more he gives back to me. How do you stand in the middle of tragedy? How do you continue to move on? How do you stay holy in an unholy society? Well, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, but I can tell you right now at this moment, it is a decision moment by moment. Environment and, and where, just everything that you encounter, what comes into your mind, what you put in your eyes, all of these things, it is a daily, minute by minute decision to choose the living life or to choose going back to your dead life. Man, wouldn't it have been better if God could have just said, you know what, if you accept me, I'm going to flip that switch for you and you'll never have to think about it again. Wouldn't that be great? Think about it. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to choose anymore that, that you could just be a Christian and everything would be fine? We wouldn't need churches. We wouldn't need preachers. We wouldn't need gospel singers. We wouldn't need Bibles. All we do is flip the switch and everything will be fine. What kind of devotion is there in that? How many of you have learned more about God through your struggles than you have just because you prayed a prayer? Folks, we've got to put off to put on. And it's time to start living life. We've been raised to new life. It's time we act like it. There's the old illustration of, of these trainers that would train Elephants, you've probably heard this before, but, but they'll take a baby elephant and put this huge chain around its leg and put a stake in the middle of the ground. And that, that chain is so heavy and, and the, the elephant can't move because it's so big. But over time, the elephant grows up and gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually, if that elephant wanted to, he could sneeze and get free of that chain. But they, he doesn't, or she doesn't. You know why? Because they've been raised to think that that chain was stronger than they are. So they never try. And they're always enslaved to that state. They could just pop it up and move on, but they don't. Folks, what is your chain? What is your vice? What is that thing that makes you think that you cannot live a holy life? And if there's a thing that you think is holding you back, not to be cheesy, but we sang about it earlier. Jesus is your chain breaker. If you're in bondage, it's because you want to be. It's because you choose to be. It's because you choose to live in the old life rather than the new life that God has afforded you through Jesus Christ. Psalm 107 says this in verses 10 through 14. He says, some of us, some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned by iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them hard with hard labor. They fell, and no one was there to help them. Then they cried, Lord, help. They cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their, their distress. And then verse 4 says, He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. They went 
from surviving to living. In conclusion, I'll tell you, Jesus is your chain breaker. Jesus is your chain breaker. And living instead of surviving is your choice. You can choose that today. I know a majority of you in here are believers. You've prayed to receive Christ, and you have been Christians probably longer than I have, and many of you are probably better Christians than I am. But I know this, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we all have issues. We all have change. We all have things in the back of our closets we don't want anybody to find. If we want to truly live this Christian life, we need to decide to live and not just survive. If we sin, here's the the point blank truth of it. If we sin, if you sin, if I sin, if we sin, it's because we choose to. Bottom line. You say, well, well, preacher, hold on a minute. You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what kind of position I was in. I had no choice. No, we always have a choice. And folks, I'll tell you what, when it comes to my sins, I could sit down with you and I could give you a a 10-page term paper on how I can justify the sin that I'm in. But it's because I choose to. When people sin against you and you don't understand why, it's because they choose to. When your life is surrounded by you getting what you want rather than doing what God wants you to do, it's because you choose that too. What is my choice? It says in this passage, number one, here's our choice. Verse one says you have to be raised to new life. The first choice is choose Jesus. You will never be able to live the life that God has created you to live without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By saying, God, I am a sinner and I want your son Jesus Christ to come into my life and I understand that the blood that he shed was for the sin that I can't get past. And for the first time, I understand that the only way to get past my old life is to kill it and to start my new life with Jesus Christ. That's my first choice. The second thing is, when Jesus arose... He left his grave closed to get his heavenly ones. You know that, right? They talk about when they go back to the grave, they see his clothes there, but he's gone. He left his clothes, his grave clothes, to gain his new ones. Folks, when we become a Christian, we leave what we were and gain what he's given us. So if you were to, to kind of, you know, we all like lists. Here's your, here's your aha moment. You can write this down. Take it to the bank and then think about it or throw it away or whatever you want to do. But how do you live, not just survive? According to Colossians chapter 3, number one, put on your new nature. If you are a Christian, live like it. If you are influenced by many things of this world, set your mind on higher things. Because I guarantee you, if it's about what you possess what you can get and what you're going to do and what your next step is going to be for you and your future. Those things are important. But if it's without looking up to him, without looking in his word, you are just surviving and you will never have a sense of completeness, of contentment. So we must put on our new nature. We must be renewed. 
put off our sinful living and put on his righteousness. Some of you have done that. Many of you have done that. Some of you might have taken those clothes of righteousness and put it in your closet and you use it when you need it. Folks, they don't work that way. They don't work that way. We either are or we're not. And the third thing is, get to know your God. I love that in verse 10. Put on your new nature, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Folks, we are not going to be perfect until Jesus Christ comes back and takes us to the new heaven and the new earth. But we are in the process. How do you know God more? It's by reading his word, trusting him, living for him, quit putting on the old way of life and embrace the new things of life. This could be for you in your first year. This could be for you in your 50th year of being a Christian. But I've told you before, you know what the average spiritual lifespan of a Christian is? In other words, that, that, that lifespan of when you really feel like you are a dedicated Christian, where you can take on hell with a water pistol, experts say about three years. So many kids, they have that youth group experience in ninth and 10th grade. They're going to change the world. They're going to go to school. They're going to be a missionary. They're going to be singers. They're going to be preachers. They're going to be all of these different things. And then they get to college and they realize, oh, it's not like Sunday school. And they're swallowed up. And no one ever taught them how to really fight for their faith. And they're casualties. Folks, don't be a three-year Christian. Maybe some of you, oh, I know some of you have been way more than that. So I, I get so much encouragement from watching your walk. But understand this, is that if you've gotten into that mode or where you feel like you're just simply surviving, put on your new nature. Be renewed and get to know God. Because the more you know God, the more you will know about yourself. Where is your relationship with God today? Are you living or are you just surviving? The invitation is this. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and you want to to have the new life that he talks about, Paul talks about here in the book of Colossians, I welcome you to come forward. You know, oh, preacher, I don't want to come forward. What do people think? Oh, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to walk down an aisle. Hey, I understand that and I know that. But here's the thing. If you can't stand up in a room full of believers that will rejoice in your decision, you have no hope of going out into this world and taking a stand because there is no such thing as covert Christians, closet Christians. We're to take a stand and we're to be bold. And there would be people that if you were to come to know Christ today, they would celebrate with you. More importantly, heaven would celebrate. Maybe you're a believer that just wants to come to the altar or you want to come pray with me, whatever it may be. You can. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you just want to stay right where you are. But do not leave this place today without knowing that you have the new life that Paul is writing about here. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. And thank you for the fact that we don't have to just survive in this world, but we can live according to your will and have your power and your purpose in our lives. If there's one person here that needs to know you, may they make that decision this day. 
For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?